0: Young, back to throw, in trouble, he's going to be sacked, no, gets away, he runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10, he dives. touchdown 49ers.
1: What's up faithful, LSAC, Ozee Nockvie back with you for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. You could find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud. On Stitcher, on the 49 dot website, in Zane, we got T shirts, buddy. We got some merch, we got swag. Did you
2: order your shirt yet? I have not ordered my shirt yet because I'm trying to decide whether what size to get because, like, the, the fit is it like you know, like a hipster fit? Is it like uh, a normal fit? Like, what is it like? I know you ordered one. Was yeah, it? Yeah, I,
1: like? I got a large and it's it's pretty big. Um, okay, I probably should have got a medium. I'm one of those guys who wears medium t-shirts anyway. Um, like a, like a but, um, what, what was that? Like
2: a medium, like a small medium.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, sun's out, guns out. But um, yeah, so large was a little big but for, I know for all our listeners, who can't wait to go out in order one. Um, yeah. A large definitely fits like a large for sure, but it's just cool to have merch, man. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. You know, what else I'm excited about is, you know, we're doing this show and it's, it's the end of May, early June here. And I'm like, dude, what are we going to talk about? You know, like there's just what's going on at this point. And we sit down to go about, you know, what we're going to talk about on the show. And dude, there's so much that we're going to get into today, Zane. There is. And it's kind of funny because some
2: of that stuff happened like over the course of the week. And when we first like discussed our guest and what we would talk about aside from our guest, you're right. We really didn't have much to
1: to talk about. But I think that changed a little bit, didn't it? It did. And we're going to break down today. We're going to talk about the defense and Ruben Foster returning to OTAs. Uh, We'll break down Joshua Garnett, who Matt Mayoko had some good things to to write about him, which 49ers fans should feel good about. We're going to talk Des Bryant, see what's going on there, if anything. And also, something I tweeted out today that I really want to get into, are are we expecting too much from Jimmy Garoppolo? Our expectations just too high for him at this point. Are there going to be ups and downs? Or is he just going to come out guns blazing and and never look back? We're going to get into all that. It's going to be a fun show. But before we do, we're going to welcome in our guest from Pro Football Focus, Sam Monson. We are pleased to welcome Pro Football Focus's lead NFL analyst. He is Sam Monson. Sam, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing good. How are you guys?
1: Really good, really good. And really appreciate you being here with us. And before we jump into all things 49ers, and, and we have so many questions for you about the Niners and what they've done this offseason and, and what we can expect this this upcoming season. could you tell us a little bit about your career and, and how you got started with everything with Pro Football Focus?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to uh, know Neil Hornsby, PFS founder, really from the beginning. Um, we all, the first few guys that that started PFF all kind of knew each other from an online NFL forum back in in Europe, um, NFL UK, the actual the official NFL UK um, forum. So we all kind of met through there. Neil set up this this company, kind of invented the PFF system. Uh, needed some guys to come on and help him start grading games, so it wasn't just him on his own. Uh, first guy he got was Ben Stockwell, and uh, Ben really kind of created the PFF grading system along with Neil. And then I was really the next guy that got into to do any kind of significant amount of games. Um, and then really that kind of core group of people just, just developed the thing from there until to what it is today.
1: Well, so you've been with this thing from the beginning basically.
0: Yeah, pretty much. One of the certainly one of the first couple of guys in the door.
1: That's great. And for those who might not know what, what, Pro Football Focus is all about. Tell us the advantages of using it and how the service differenti- differentiates itself from standard statistics.
0: Yeah, I mean, our unique thing is that we are watching and grading every single player on every single play in every single game of the NFL season and now in, in college in, in, F- in every FBS game as well. Um, so it, it differentiates itself from, you know, any kind of model that's just using statistics or, or result-based things we're actually looking at what happened on the play, not necessarily on what it resulted in. So, you know, the obvious examples are quarterbacks. If, if a quarterback tosses a ball to a, um, you know, running back who breaks five tackles and takes it 80 yards to the house, that gives the quarterback a perfect passer rating of one, you know, one fifty three point eight. but the quarterback didn't do anything. He just got the ball to a running back and a, a pass that you or I could attempt. Um, you get it the other way as well. Quarterback throws the ball deep down the field, straight to a defender. Somehow he makes a mess of it or the receiver goes up and takes it away from him. Um, you know, there's plenty of times where quarterbacks are getting credit for work. Other guys do, but also quarterbacks can throw fantastic balls. They're dropped. He doesn't get the credit for those. So there's a lot of times statistics will lie to you a lot. Um, so it's really important going through and, and actually grading what happened and whether it's quarterback play, whether it's, Uh, running backs, offensive line, you know, there's times offensive linemen aren't responsible for sacks. It's on the quarterback or it's on a running back blowing protection. Um, So really our our unique thing is that we're going through and, and quantifying all of these things that you can't get from just statistics.
1: So in a given week during the season, how much film are you watching? Like how many hours does it take you to really, you know, be able to do your job?
0: Yeah, I mean we've got a we've got a big team of guys and, and each game, I mean each season we're adding more and more processes to what we do. So each game has an incredible incredible amount of man hours behind it by the time it makes the website, um, and then we have this robust system of checks and balances. Pretty much every process we have gets double checked by somebody and usually triple checked by a guy coming through and kind of adjudicating on the differences between those two guys. We get a lot of NFL feedback as well in terms of reviewing our grades. Um so the each game takes a, an absolutely staggering amount of time to get up. I think there's something like fifty plus man hours involved wow. in every single game. Wow. Um me me personally, I'm kind of wall to wall football from, you know, the moment college football games start on Saturday to um, you know, all the way through Monday anyway, and then into our kind of uh into all of our stuff that we do off the bank of that. Yeah, I had to give up
1: college a little bit once I started really covering the Niners because I just <laughs> I, I didn't want to get divorced, you know, so I figured I, yeah. I kind of I had to pick and choose at that point. But yeah, but I love the work you guys do. And and I noticed in your draft review was you did a really good job on it. And you had the 49ers doing an above average job. And I, and I agreed with that. Curious what players in their draft class really stuck out to you as, as being possible impact guys right away.
0: I mean, obviously, Mike McGlinchey should be able to hit the ground running and be a pretty impressive impact player. He's the top tackle on our board. Um, I think clearly the top tackle in this draft. He should be a guy that is I think good from the get-go. He's extremely good at run blocking. He's a really good pass protector as well. It's just that every now and again there's a lapse or there's an ugly rep where he just gets beaten quickly. Um, so I suspect he'll play pretty well as a rookie, but There'll be some ugly plays on his tape as well. There'll be times where he just gets beat straight off the bat, and you know you're going to have to live with that and see if he can develop that out of his game. The longer he plays, after that, the four United's draft just really intrigues me. You know, they've got this; they've got a ton of guys who are sort of either tweeners, you know, players that are kind of caught between positions, or or guys that are actually going to sort of move position between college and the NFL, whether it's Fred Warner, the linebacker at BYU, Tavarius Moore, the safety slash corner at Southern Miss, and then DJ Ray DJ Reed, the corner slash safety from Kansas State, all three of those guys could potentially be playing a different position for the 49ers than they did in college. Um, Warner, because he played a position in college that doesn't really exist in the NFL, that kind of overhang, walkout linebacker that's like a hybrid between a linebacker and a slot cornerback, um, he's going to have to play sort of more conventional NFL-type position at the, um, at the next level. And then the other two guys just intriguing me because I think the 49ers like them better within their scheme at the opposite position, you know, uh, more moving to corner from safety and then Reed moving to safety from corner.
1: Were there any picks that you didn't like or even that you just felt were kind of head-scratchers to you?
0: Um, none that I didn't like. I thought Contavia Street was an interesting pick in the fourth round. It's it's higher than we had him, but I actually kinda of like him as a player. And that's sort of independent of the fact that he, he tore his knee up in this pre-draft process. So um, you know, even before that I thought the fourth round is was pretty high for him. Um then you add in that injury plus the fact that again he doesn't really fit the the need that the forty nine ers had, which is Finding a real solution, a pure edge rusher, a guy that can win right. with speed on the outside. Street is another one of those guys who may be better inside as well. Um, you know, at best, is going to be a kind of base, uh, a base um, end on 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 the first couple of downs, and then I think kick inside to to rush the passer from the interior, where he's just he's built so incredibly powerfully. I think that's where he's going to win. So I, I, again, I think it's he, I don't hate the pick because I like the player. I think he's he's a good, talented guy. Um, And and I do feel sorry for him as well, tearing his knee up in that pre-draft process. I just Mm -hmm. think it's a really intriguing pick given that it doesn't really um, fit the need that they have and it's higher than I I would have expected him to go. Did you like the Pettis pick in the second round? Because I feel like if you take a receiver that high, you're not
1: taking him for the slot or to return kicks. It's somebody you want to feature in your offense and probably even eventually take over Pierre Garçon. Do you think he can be that type of player?
0: Um, Yeah, I think he can be. I think he's a talented player. He had a pretty good grade in PFS system last year, um, an 82.0. I think he's got enough skills that he could add to that receiving core. it It was an interesting receiving group this year because there was no star. There was no surefire thing. Uh, there was a bunch of guys I think that are capable number twos. Uh, I, I think he's in that group. He's a guy that should be able to come in and be a capable part of a uh, a receiving core. But like pretty much every receiver in this draft, I don't think they're going to be the guy that becomes the number one and leads the line. And
1: you recently wrote a piece on, on how San Francisco can get the most out of Solomon Thomas that I really enjoyed. And I, I like Thomas. I think he's going to take a, a big jump this year. I agreed with what you said about that he should be rushing from the inside. And it was interesting. Pro Football Focus gave him one of the best overall grades of any defensive lineman his last year of college. What were your expectations of him as an NFL player when he was coming out? And what were your overall thoughts on his rookie season?
0: Yeah, we loved him coming out. Um, He was right up there among the top guys we've seen, among the best grades we've ever seen. And a huge amount of that was down to his alignment. You know, this was an interior player at Stanford. 91% of his snaps were lined up on the inside, just just 9% on the outside. Um, and I think a big part of one of the things we're doing at the moment is we're kind of going through all of our data with analytics guys and, and computer learning and, and predictive data and trying to work out what exactly translates from college to the draft, and where the, the indicators are and what you should be looking for. One of the biggest things we're finding is that the correlation on how things translate is so much stronger when you're looking, you know, apples to apples, guys that play one position in college and play the same position in the NFL. um, You know, it's already a big enough jump before complicating matters by asking a guy to play a different position. Mm -hmm. So for a guy like it's, it holds true for pretty much all positions, but for a guy like Thomas, I think a big part of how well he was going to hit the ground running in the NFL would be, staying in the same spot. But the 49ers kind of reversed that. He was far more of an edge rusher uh, or an edge defender in, in in year one if he was in college, 71% on the edge, um, you know, compared with just nine the, percent the year his final year in college. So I I guess if I'd known um uh, before the season or before they took him that he would have been moved entirely to the edge, I would have been a little bit concerned at how that would translate. I just don't think he's that kind of player. Um I think he is an interior guy. And the question would just be, is he able to hold up on base downs given that he is a bit undersized for, for inside. The other question I have with that now is in today's NFL, does it even matter? You know, can right. you have a guy that is that lines up inside as a three technique at two hundred and seventy five pounds Doesn't make a difference anymore because, you know, the run game is almost inconsequential in today's NFL. Um, particularly if you're looking for a guy who is going to be relatively lightweight, you know, the difference between a 275 pound three tech and a 285, 290 pound three tech. I don't know that that moves the needle in any way, shape or form. Um, and if it does, you offset that by the fact that that's where he's best at rushing the passer.
1: Jumping over to free agency, two of the big names the team brought in on offense were Jarek McKinnon and Weston Richburg. What do you think of those guys, and what do you think they could bring to the 49ers on the offensive side of the ball?
0: Yeah, Jarek McKinnon is interesting because um, last year was the the first year he really graded well at PFF. It was like a 35-point grading jump under Pat Shermer um, from the previous season, and like a 10-point bump over the best year we've seen from them before. He was always a guy that had flash talent, but had never really put it all together. Uh, but last year in, in that Pat Shermer offense, he had career highs in uh, carries, in receptions, in targets, in touches, in broken tackles, in yards per carry, after contact. Um, basically set career marks in every single category you can think of. Uh, but it came within that Pat Shermer offense, which which seemed to have a transformative effect on pretty much everybody. You know, Case yeah. Keenum. Had a career year out of nowhere as well. Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, obviously were monsters as well. Um, Kyle Rudolph was another guy that looked fantastic. David Morgan, their, their backup tight end, looked great. So I'm curious to see how McKinnon does outside of that. But that 49ers offense, I think, is a schematically really nice fit for him. I think it's a great system for him to end up in. Um, and he definitely has talent. You know, We saw last year what he could do when he's playing at his best. So I, I like the fit. I'm just intrigued to see if he can pick up where he left off, given how beneficial that Shermer scheme seemed to be for everybody. Uh, Weston Richburg, I think, is a really nice signing. Uh, he's a guy who, for a couple of seasons running, was a really good graded um, center, particularly when it came to pass blocking. Uh, over you know two seasons, he allowed just two sacks, two hits, um, and about 20 additional hurries, which are pretty good numbers to pick the first two. And then, obviously, injuries kind of derailed his career and and set him back a bit. But if you get him healthy, I think he represents probably a pretty significant upgrade over what they've had in the middle.
1: Now, obviously, the centerpiece of that offense is is Jimmy Garoppolo, and the expectations for him are just so sky-high right now. Do you think what he did towards the end of last year is sustainable, or or do you maybe see some ups and downs for him in his first full season as a starter?
0: I, I mean, what he did was so good that you kind of think that just by the law of averages, it's probably not that sustainable. You've probably got to see some kind of drop-off um, because he was phenomenal. Particularly the game, I think, that really stood out as being incredible is when he just carved up that Jacksonville Jaguars defense. Mm-hmm. You know, A team that was heading for the playoffs, a team that whose defense was looking like the best in the league. Garoppolo took it to pieces like it was nothing, leading a team that basically couldn't win a game before he got in there. Um, so, I think he will definitely be a very good quarterback. He probably will see some ups and downs just because he hasn't really had the downs yet, but he does seem to have this thing that a lot of quarterbacks have, which is you see some of these guys when they first get on the field and you just know almost instantly, and you know, everybody is waiting, you know, you need to wait a certain amount of games before you say, okay, we finally see enough. It's probably going to stay at this level, but you almost recognize it immediately. You know, the Tom Brady obviously came in and was, was right. Good from the outset. Tony Romo had that thing where he came from nowhere it was phenomenal. His first action. Um, obviously Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, these guys seem to get it right from the get go. And, and Garofalo has looked like that from the outset, every opportunity he's had, he's looked fantastic. And the only caution has been, yeah, but it's only been two games and, okay, yeah, but it's only been five games. Like At some point, it's been enough games, and we we probably need to accept that he he is actually that good. He can play. Before Richard Sherman got hurt last year,
1: did did you guys still have him graded out as being Richard Sherman? Was he still an elite corner, and and, and do you think he can kind of get back to that with 49ers?
0: Yeah, I think he was still playing really well. You know, Richard Sherman's um, kind of key statistic is the, the number of snaps in coverage between allowing a catch. He's always been first, second, third, and that kind of statistic. Um, you know, but simply put, he is the hardest corner in the NFL to complete a pass on, which ultimately is kind of a cornerback's job. You know, interceptions are nice and, and pass breakups and all that kind of thing, but ultimately you just want to stop your guy catching the ball. And he probably does that better than any other uh receiver or better than any other corner in the game. Um he was grading really well against the run last year, a little bit less so in coverage. But broadly speaking, he was the same, you know, excellent corner that we've seen. The big question mark for him is the, the kind of injury he had. You know, it was an Achilles tear. Those are the kind of things that hit those fast twitch guys the most. You know, those are the guys that rely on being able to use their quickness, their, their uh, reaction time, that at first initial acceleration spring, the most of anybody. Um, that being said, those there's a history now recently of guys coming back from those injuries in a way they didn't used to in the past. You know, guys like Cameron Wake, um, Junior Gallette, I think, came back from back-to-back Achilles injuries mm-hmm. and still look like a dominant pass rusher this past season. Terrell Suggs has come back. All these guys are pass rushers, but again, that's the kind of player that relies on that get-off, that initial burst. Uh, it's not quite the same thing as corners that obviously rely on a bit more long speed, but there's a kind of recent trend of these guys not suffering so badly after these injuries. The other thing that probably stands in his stead, in fact, like two things. First is that he's going to a scheme that's almost identical to the one he left in Seattle. So there's no big question mark about how he's going to do in a completely different system, a foreign coverage set and all that kind of thing. The other thing is that he was never a four three guy to begin with. You know, he's always been a slower corner who's understood how to, use his hands and physicality to prevent receivers from just running straight by him so you know even if he isn't 100 percent in terms of speed and quickness it, it won't matter for him as much as other corners i think
1: and one last question before we let you go sam and, and i wanted to ask about des bryant because i'm not sure if you saw this but a fan had asked him on his instagram what team he wanted to play for and he said the 49ers now you're starting to hear some whispers and is it a fit is it not a fit could it happen on a one-year deal type thing But Brian hasn't been the same player the last few years. And an interesting stat, when I was just looking at things for him, when you looked at his dominant years from 2012 to 2014, he had over 130 targets and was putting up 1,300 yards and 12-plus touchdowns. Then he had a few years with injuries. Last year, he played a full season and hit over 130 targets again, but only 69 receptions, 838 yards, and only 6 TDs. How did you evaluate his performance last year? Are you surprised he's still unsigned?
0: Yeah, he didn't he didn't grade well at all last year. He also set a career high in drops. Um he had twelve drop passes last season, which is, is not a good number. Um uh, he's just he just doesn't get open anymore. Um uh, now I don't know if there were lingering injuries last year as well. You know, he's been battling through some things. There's definitely been talk that, that was the case, but he's never been the greatest route runner in the world, but he was so athletically gifted that he made it happen, um, and he was very good at the catch point, and he was very good after the catch. He's still, I think, a good receiver after the catch. He broke 14 tackles with the ball in his hands last year. That's his one 5th season with double-digit broken tackles, which is impressive for a wide receiver. But he just doesn't get the same kind of separation that he used to, and he was struggling to make those kind of contested catches. Plus, you add in those drop passes. I mean, at times last season, the best thing he was doing was breaking up interceptions that Dak Prescott seemed to be trying to throw in his direction. Um, you know, at one point we were tracking it as a kind of joke on the PFF podcast, and he was—he had like a top ten mark in terms of pass breakups uh, as a wide receiver. You know, if you if you counted all of the, the the passes where he prevented a cornerback from catching it, uh, if you knocked them as pass breakups the same way cornerbacks get, he would have been a top ten player on a uh, in terms of pass breakups. So when that's like your calling card for a wide receiver, things are not going well. But I guess it depends the kind of price point he's looking for. You know, if he wants to come onto a roster, Brandon Marshall probably set a pretty good marketplace for him in terms of like a $2 million deal, all of almost all of which is incentive based. That's essentially the veteran minimum at Mm -hmm. that point. If Brian is prepared to sign for something like that, then I think he can still contribute. There's still a role within an offense, but if he still sees himself as you know, a number one receiver or a guy that wants to get paid significantly more than that, it may be a while before teams get desperate enough to come call calling. Sam, we cannot
1: thank you enough for the time today. Keep up the good work and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Sure. Anytime. Thanks for having me. And thank you again to Sam Monson from pro
2: football focus for joining us. And Al, a lot of people rely on PFF for their advanced statistics and their, their metrics to see how effective players are. And, so very quietly, they've grown into like a really reliable source of information. And It's really cool to have one of those guys on our show,
1: isn't it? Yeah, and the hours they put in just to break down those games is insane. I think Sam said it was over like fifty man hours for one game or something wow. like that. It's just just nuts. But it's fun. I mean, you know, there's worse things you could be doing with with your life than watching football all day. So it's pretty good stuff. All right, Zane. So where do we even start here? Where 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 do you want to start? Do you want to go defense? Do you want to talk Jimmy G? Do you want to talk Daz? Where do you, how do you want to kick this off? Well, since the last time we talked, Ruben
2: Foster was exonerated. Like he was, he was. well, I, I don't know if exonerated is the right word, but he was. Uh, the charges were dropped against him for the domestic violence thing. And this is something that immediately, like, I jumped the gun on, and and I own that. And I, I, you know, made the Twitter apology and let everybody know that came at me that they were right, and they were. And it just, it was just the weirdest thing. I did not expect this to happen. Like, it just took the weirdest turn where his ex girlfriend recanted, and there was evidence of her making up this whole story and now Ruben foster can finally just focus on football today was his first day back and by the time this hits the air he would have been back for a couple days but al it's just so good to just have Ruben foster
1: back with the 49ers isn't it it's huge you know the guy can really be a star and i i I did the twitter apology too and for me i like to think that i'm pretty rational with the way with i don't know my my takes or whatever you want to call them i tend to look at things pretty rationally but you know, listen, with domestic violence, like it's such a touchy subject that, you know, you get be sensitive about it. And for me, I was, and I jumped the gun and, you know, I was calling for his release the day all that stuff came out and I was totally wrong and I was totally off base. And I obviously, I mean, I learned a lesson there because you have to wait until the facts come out. And unfortunately we've seen so many cases like this happen in recent years where you think the worst and it, it wasn't in this case. And, Look, the guy didn't do it, and has he made some bad decisions with with the marijuana and things like that? Sure, but this domestic violence thing was totally erroneous, and I'm I'm sorry that I jumped a gun on him. You know, I, I wish I didn't do that. You know, if if and when I see him again in person, and you know, maybe I'll even apologize to him. You know, I don't I don't know because I've I do feel like you know looking back at it, I just think wow, you, I just look an idiot. You know, I look like one of those guys who are just you know trying to have the hot takes to have the hot take, and it wasn't my intention. It's just you know a sensitive subject, and and your emotions take over, but we did both apologize for it and we will continue to do so um, moving forward with that for sure. And and hopefully he stays clean and stays healthy and can stay on the field because the guy is a star Zane. And one of the things with this defense that I look at, do they still have issues with pass rush and everything? Yeah. Are they a couple injuries away from having problems? Sure. But I feel like it's going to take a jump because they had rookies last year at every level that played big time snaps, especially in the last half of the year. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by every level is you have Solomon Thomas on the defensive line. You've Ruben Foster at linebacker. You have a Witherspoon at corner and you have Adrian Colbert at safety. So you have these four players at each level who had good rookie seasons. You would expect to be better in year two. And if that happens, how can this defense not take a jump? And if you look at their last eight games last year, the defense allowed 20.5 points. And if you take out the Jacksonville game, it's it's under 19 points a game. In the first eight games, they averaged or they allowed an average of 27 points a game, and when you look at the breakdown, the last eight games for the defense, they allowed 20 points, 21 points, 24 points, 14 points, 16 points, 23 points, 33 points, 13 points. That's pretty good, and they were playing well even before Jimmy G came in and, and you know dominated the time of possession. They were starting to come around a little bit, and I feel like with those four guys and with Buckner and Tart. Those are six essential pieces to your defense. Those are six core pieces of your defense, all with the arrow pointing up. And if guys like Fred Warner and DJ Jones, um, Sheldon Day, if these guys continue to play well, you have a defense where it's not a lot of guys who are aging and getting worse. Everybody's getting better. And this defense, all of a sudden, could be a strength.
2: And it's interesting you brought up Fred Warner. I, I want to talk about him for a sec because I love his game. I think he's a three-down linebacker. I think that he he can cover. He can play in the box. Like he's he's what an, a modern NFL sort of linebacker looks like, where they're almost like safety, strong safety weight. And if you put him next to Ruben Foster, I think I think he's just going to be just bawling out. I think that guy will will just be flying all over the field, and it's it, it, it does something else that the 49ers didn't have last year, it takes Brock Coyle off the field. And as well as Brock Coyle played at times last year, he's, he was brought in to be like a core special teams guy. Like he was not brought in to start every every game. I mean, he only played because Malcolm Smith got injured. And on top of that, one of those guys that, that is coming back from injury from last year, uh, Malcolm Smith, he's, he's like your stalwart, the guy that knows the scheme the best, the guy that can basically be the, the captain of the linebacker room and kind of set an example for the younger guys. He's coming back. Eric Armstead's coming back from injury, so it's almost like you're gaining two free agents uh, essentially for your defense that weren't there last year. Mm-hmm. So this whole defense is going to look it's going to look quite different than it did last year because you're going to get a full, hopefully, a full season of Tart and Colbert at safety. You're, you have Richard Sherman obviously on the outside. A full season of Akella Weatherspoon. Like if you look at who started the season last year for the 49ers, it was very different than who ended the season on defense. And It was yes. mostly, because of, mostly because of injuries, a little bit because of ineffectiveness, but it's just going to be a completely different defense this year. I, I saw a report uh, today on Solomon Thomas and how Robert Sala said that he's understanding what type of pass rusher he needs to be. I feel like he was just getting his feet under him last year, and, and he's one of those guys that people think will make the next jump up, and if the 49ers can get some serious pass ability out of him, I think that it's going to be great whether it's from the outside or, or interior next to Buckner, I think that if they can get something out of Armstead and Solomon Thomas
1: specifically on defensive line from a pass rush perspective, it's going to change their entire defense. And what Salah said was, um, and to quote him, the plan for Solomon is the same. He's on the edges during base downs. It'll come in and rush the passer on the inside. We're very excited about Solomon and what he's been showing. He's really starting to understand the pass rush part of it in terms of attacking half a man and taking away space with his get off. So it looks like he's going to be rushing from the inside on passing downs, which is, which is good to hear because that's where he belongs on passing downs. And Sal also talked about the guys rushing as a unit and Chris Kiffin, the pass rush specialist talked about this as well. And one of the things he said that I liked is, you know, they're going to build around DeForest Buckner. He's sort of the best player on the, on the line and Mm -hmm. they're going to build around him and sort of rush as a unit to let him get home a little bit more. He, He led the NFL with 19 QB hits, but didn't get home a lot last year. So they're going to work on him doing that. So hopefully that will work, and they can rush as a unit. Because if they can get a little bit of pressure, Rose had an article about the pass rushes. It's not like they're far away. They're one guy being a little bit more disruptive away from a pretty solid unit because there are good players there. We'll see what happens. We'll see if they can get a pass rush. Are you sold on this Chris Kiffin thing? Do you think having a pass rush specialist really matters with the coaching staff, or is that a little bit overblown?
2: The NFL coaching staff in general, I think, is overblown because you've got like the coaches, you've got the assistants, you've got the quality control guys. You've got like the equivalent of the guys that get coffee. Like there are literally like 20 to 25 quote unquote coaches on an NFL staff counting all the assistants and all the people under them. So, uh, I mean, one more, just to sp- specifically focus on pass rush is not a big deal to me. I think that, that it would be nice to get something out of this pass rush. And, and if it takes hiring a coach just to, just to teach these guys new techniques and, and get them to the next level. Then I'm all for that. I don't know if you remember back in the nineties when Marquez Pope was, was playing corner for the 49ers right after Dion left. He had a guy that would train like martial arts with him before every game. And he was like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And he was like with this guy, every game and the guy would take his pads out. And Marquez Pope is like punching them and, and dodging them and doing all this stuff. And that guy was hired specifically for Marquez Pope. So I think that, and, and Pope was a pretty good corner for, for a few years for the 49ers before he got hurt. So I think that if that
1: helps these guys get to the next level, then I'm I'm all for it. All right. Moving on, I want to talk about this Des Bryant thing. And I know some fans are probably like, oh, really? Des Bryant? But there was actually now now for those who may not know the story, Des posted, some fan asked Des Bryant on his Instagram what team he wanted to play for. And he said the 49ers. Now, so obviously when he says that, there's gonna be like, oh, is it, you know, is anything gonna happen? Jennifer Chan from Niners Nation actually said today that she heard some whispers um about Des to the 49ers State OTAs. Um and I'll read she did play it down a little bit with her um next tweet and I'll see if I could find that one. Um she said so somebody had said that they heard her say on Facebook that about the whispers about daz and she says very unconfirmed just a whisper. Can I can I downplay it any further? Um so definitely maybe just something she heard in passing, but it still gets you thinking. And for those who don't know, Jennifer Chan, by the way, is a very, extremely nice person for those who don't know her. Jen, Jen, Jen is a, I sat next to her in the press box. She's one of like the first, like, you know, beat writers I met and she was so nice and, you know, really like helping me through stuff. stuff, great person. But anyway, um, she mentions this and I'm thinking about Des and I'm thinking about this receiving core. One, I don't see where he fits because the Niners are pretty, like kind of like sneaky deep at receiver. And you look at they have Garcon, they have Goodwin, they just drafted Pettis. You have Taylor, you have Bourne, you have Richie James. It's kind of sneaky deep there, so you wonder if the, where Dez could fit. But then you start to think, okay, if this team is thinking playoffs on a one-year deal for a contract like Brandon Marshall just kind of got, which is basically, like Sam Monson said, it's like it's vet minimum, basically, with incentives, why not take a shot, right? And I'm looking at Dez, and I'm looking the way that he played. He's not the same player he was. And if you look at 2012-2014, Dez, he was dominant. Over 130 targets every single year, 92 catches, 93 catches, 88 catches, over 12 and 1300 yards every year. His touchdowns: 12 in 2012, 13 in 2013, 16 in 2014. So he's a monster. Now the last three years he hasn't been that guy. And in 2015 he only plays nine games, 72 targets, 31 catches, 401 yards, three touchdowns. Not a good season. Last year, 2016 this would be. He only plays 13 games. <laughs> he has under 100 targets. He has 50 catches, 796 yards, 8 touchdowns. Now, last season, so you see those, those other two years. Okay, Al, he was hurt. Last season, he has over 130 targets again. So he was a target monster again last season. Only 69 catches for 838 yards in 60 Ds. And like Sam alluded to, um, He had 12 drops, which which is a lot. So he is not the same dude. So if you're going to think about bringing him in, if he's, he's a red zone type guy and you want to bring him in, you have to bring him in on a vet minimum take a shot. I just don't know if he fits on, on the Niners, and I don't know if I really want him to take snaps away from guys like Bourne, Taylor, Pettis, the young guys who I'm talking about, who, who I would like to see on the field getting reps as opposed to maybe what could be a washed up Des Bryant. If they get Des Bryant,
2: they're going to need like five footballs to be thrown around this in this offense like they yeah a lot of targets now yeah they, they don't have enough balls to go around to to satisfy all of these guys target requirements and and to get them going because i feel like part of it is rhythm too and if jimmy garoppolo has a good rhythm with the guys that already are there then why would you want to upset that? I think this may be just a uh, scenario that they may be kicking the tires on him. And if they feel like he can be a dominant red zone threat and if they feel like he can come in and, and really dominate games, then maybe he's worth a shot. Because if you, if you think about it, they're, they're not like one dominant receiver away. But if they can fill that sort of dominant receiver hole, it's just one less thing for them to worry about next year. Because Pierre Garçon... He signed that five-year deal, but they, I believe they have an out after this year if they, if they decline his option. So right, right. Uh, they, they may be monitoring that situation closely with his neck and his age and, and his productivity. I think that there's going to be an opening next year for the, the wide receiver one spot. And Dante Pettis is one of those guys that hopefully they think that can, that can step up. But then you look at the rest of the receiving corps, it's like where, where's the dominant receiver? Where, where is that game-changing ability going to come from? Is it going to come from Goodwin? Is it going to be Pettis? Is it going to be Garcon? So it's a good stable of wide receivers. It's not a great stable of wide receivers yet because we don't know what they can do with a full season. Full season with Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think that they're doing their due diligence, and I don't. I don't mind it because honestly speaking, if if a guy of Des Bryant's caliber was on uh, out there on the streets and they didn't kick the tires, I would be. I would kind of be like, okay, well, you know, you're not really that good. Your roster is not that good to be not wanting to improve it right like there's there's guys out there like michael kendricks and shane ray and and uh dante fowler that that may be uh maybe a fit and they don't seem to be too interested and we're asking why well why is it any different with des bryant i feel like he can have a good impact given the right situation but uh, you know i just i don't know I, I don't really see where he fits in i don't see how they can push everybody else down the depth chart, especially after drafting Dante Pettis. Like, Des Bryant was already a free agent when the draft came around. So if they wanted him, why did they draft
1: Pettis? I don't see the fit. I just, I literally just think this is just them doing due due diligence. They're probably right. And, And they'd be nuts to, like you said, to at least just not take a look, you know, to say, can this guy help or whatever. So we'll see what comes of it. It's fun to talk about because he's a name, you know, and then you hear things today, like there were some whispers. And again, it's May. June. You know, there's nothing going on. So when you hear something like that, the story can take off. And it's fun to banter about, but in reality, uh, you know, the odds of it happening. But in, in, I'll throw a stat out at you here, too. From 2015 to 2017, Des Bryant's played 38 games, has 150 catches for 2,035 yards and 17 TDs. Pierre Garcon's played 40 games, has 191 catches for 2,318 yards and nine TDs. So other than touchdowns, Garcon's actually been a lot more productive than Des. So take that for what you will, but maybe the Niners already have, you know, that type of number one type guy or whatever in, in Garcon and, and what they should do on the other side is, is develop guys like Goodwin and Pettis and Bourne and maybe for the red zone, rely on their tight ends, rely on Selleck, rely on, um, oh my God, how did I, oh my God, I must forgot George Kittle's name. <laughs> rely <laughs> on Selleck, rely on George Kittle. Uh, I got too many names in my head. Um, and I guess at OTAs today, Garoppolo was really thrown to them in the red zone. So those guys are going to be two targets. Someone else who could just be huge for this offense, if he finally can put it together and be a fit is, is Joshua Garnett. Because listen, there's there's still a hole at guard. It's, it's still an issue. We don't know how it's going to play out. And look at this offensive line. Obviously, the tackles are set. Obviously, the center is set. And I think Eric Magnuson will be that swing guy because he can play so many positions. I I really feel like he's going to, he could come in and win one of the guard spots. Sure. But I really feel like he's going to be the swing guy and and be that main backup there. So those guard spots are wide open. And really you have Tomlinson right now. Who's in the last year of his deal. You have have Cooper who's on a one-year deal. So those guys probably aren't long-term answers unless the Niners re-sign Tomlinson. And there was some smoke about that. I don't know if they actually will. So, what would be the best thing for them is for Josh Garnett to come in and really step up here. And article by Matt Mayoko um, said, he said Kyle Shanahan said in Matt's article, I should say about Garnett. I see a guy who's really going for it. I've been very proud of how he's handled his off year. Some guys, when they go through that, they can get down, especially the surprise it was for him when it happened. He really took advantage of his off year. I think he changed his body. I think he lost weight and added to muscle. By doing that, you're faster, you're more athletic. And I don't believe he's lost power either because it's the right type of weight. So Shanahan's saying a lot of good things about him and he's going to get some reps because Cooper's out right now. So if Garnett can come in and cement himself as a starter, the Niners have fixed a major hole. I feel like Josh Garnett is similar to Eric Armstead where they drafted him in the first round and they
2: had big expectations and he was kind of not really NFL ready, but they were hoping that he could get some seasoning and then just got hurt right off the bat. So I I feel like those guys are in the same boat. And Garnett, if he can pan out, it's a huge, huge win for the 49ers because that's one big position on the offensive line that's filled. And like you said, they're set at both tackle positions. They're set at center. It's the guard positions that they really need to get something out of. And the fact that he slimmed down shows that he wants to play. One of the, the complaints about Trent Brown is that he wasn't committed to football and that like he would always come in out of shape and everything. So you don't really have that problem with Josh Garnett. And he's one of those rare Trent Balky holdovers that is still on the team. And I think that that speaks volumes because they feel like he can compete. They feel like he he can compete at a high level and we're going to see this year. I think this is a make or break year for him. And it sounds odd because the guy was just a rookie a couple of years ago, but I feel like this is a make or break year for him in this system because the Kyle Shanahan system relies on smaller, quicker offensive linemen. I believe there's a report that Joe Staley played last last year at the end of the year at under 300 pounds. He was like 295, which is unheard of for, for a left tackle, which is crazy. Right. But because of the system that they play in, they demand more athletically out of their offensive linemen than other schemes would. So I think that he's on the right track by, by getting into better shape. But it's just going to be so hard, I think, for him to, to excel because he's a road grader. He's, he's a run blocking offensive lineman and pass blocking was not his strong, strong suit. So all of a sudden you've got two guys on the line who need to improve their plat- pass blocking with McGlinchey and Garnett, and they'll most likely be playing next to each other. So it's going to be really inter- interesting to see how, how, they, how they kind of supplement that and whether they decide to keep an extra tight end, tight end in for blocking and how much they rely on their backs to block. Because one thing about Carlos Hyde, as much as people, Say that he wasn't a system fit. Is that he was a really good blocker? He learned from Frank Gore. He was a really good blocking back. And I, I kind of question how good McKinnon and Breda will be helping out the offensive line when the guys bring when the defense brings extra pressure. So the offensive line will make or break this offense. And it, it doesn't matter how good Jimmy G throws it if he's if he's on his back, right? So he has to stay healthy. He has to stay upright, and it starts
1: up front the offensive line. I'm a little worried about that, especially because, you know, we've mentioned it on the show with McGlinchey. It's not fair to him to say that he's going to come in as a rookie and, and can be as effective as Trent Brown. Trent Brown's one of the best pass blocking tackles in the league. Did he struggle with run blocking? Sure. McGlinchey will probably help with that, but pass blocking no, it's, it's, it's not going to be as good this year. If it is, I'd be shocked. And I'm not saying he can't get there, but again, not fair to ask him to be there this year. And if, if, the guard next to him is is not doing well. That's a little scary. It, it is a little scary. To, and I know Garoppolo's got a quick release, but if if that pressure is coming, you know, like you said, he can't do much on his back. And I want to talk about with Jimmy Garoppolo? <laughs> I know he's a savior and everything. And look, I I love Garoppolo as a player. I think he's going to be a Pro Bowler. I think in Kyle Shanahan's system, he's going to put up huge numbers. But the expectations for him right now are. I mean, dude, they're off the charts. I mean, everybody, everywhere you look, it's it's Jimmy G this, and he's going to do this, and he's going to do that. And I guess my fear with it is that the expectations are so out of control that I just hope people are patient if there's a few bumps in the road. Because I think the end results are going to be worth it. But I can just hear the overreaction now if he goes to Minnesota, who, listen, the Vikings could be a 14-2 team this year. I mean, the Vikings are good. So... Mm-hmm. Let's say the Niners go to Minnesota and they lose, I don't know, 27 to 13. And Jimmy G throws a couple of picks. Is everyone going to, you know, is the overreaction going to start? Oh, he's, you know, he's not as good. And the league caught up to him, but that stuff's going to happen. And you saw last year too. Garoppolo's got some gunslinger in him, doesn't he? And mm-hmm. he's not going to come in. Certainly not next year. it be an Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady where he has 35 touchdowns and five interceptions or whatever the hell those guys do. It's ridiculous. The numbers they put up. He's just, the odds of him being that guy right now are, you know, it's, it's slim. And to be honest with you, do you know who he actually reminds me of? And this is a compliment because I think he's underrated, to be honest with you. He kind of reminds me of Tony Romo um, in the sense that he's kind of got that gunslinger. And Listen, Romo was really good. He just made some bonehead throws at bad times. But Romo was a really good player. That's not an insult at all. And, I, and I, I'm not saying Grapplo's ceiling is Tony Romo. I think Garoppolo's ceiling could be... Aaron Rodgers-ish. You know, I really do believe that it can be. I think he can be that good. But this year, you could see 14, 15 picks as he's working his way through the system in his first full year, as he's going through the league for a first full season, as teams are catching up to him. And listen, again, he doesn't have the an all-star team around him by any stretch of the imagination. There's some young guys on offense. There's some receivers we don't know about. Like we said with the offensive line. So I just wonder: Are these expectations so out of control? Is is it unfair to him right now? You don't believe in Jimmy Jesus? No, I do. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. I, I think. I, I think he's going to make Pro Bowl next year. He's going to have a terrific year. But look at these expectations that are on him. You You know, I mean, how Brady, what, (laughs) how many things do you see? But that's just it. Like how many things do you see with him with like a Superman shirt on and everything else? And yeah, he's going to be very good, but I'm just telling everyone like there's going to be bumps in the road too. There's going to be ups and downs. He's not going to, he's not going to come in next year and throw 40 TDs in eight interceptions. At least I don't think so. So be prepared for some bumps in the road while you're still going to get probably the best quarterback play you've had since Jeff Garcia and maybe since Steve Young. There's still going to be some bumps in the road. So that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. But prepare yourself that there's going to be some weeks and maybe some throws where you're like, what was he doing there? And that was pretty rough. I I think that that could still happen.
2: Uh, There will. Of course there will. Like he's just starting his first year as a full-time starter at quarterback. And he's playing with a bunch of guys that are also kind of getting into the second year of this scheme and, and learning this scheme. It's not an easy scheme. It, like Chip Kelly's scheme was very, very simple, and guys were able to step into that. It was, it was not a hard scheme to learn, and it was just like his scheme was was so simple that the NFL figured it out within a few years. But I, Kyle Shanahan's scheme is is very complicated. It's not an easy scheme to learn, and I think that the players know that, and I hope that the fans know that because this is a process. This is not going to happen within one year or two years, they're not, I mentioned earlier, they're not one or two players away. If they were one, one or two players away, then yeah, I'd say they need to take the next step. But you see a lot of this is, is also national media hype as well. Like the ESPNs of the world and the pro football talks of the world talk. They talk about this all the time because they need filler. And who's the hottest quarterback to end last season was Jimmy Garoppolo. So yes, expectations need to be uh, dampened a little bit, but at the same time, you have to look at his body of work, and, and the guy has shown intangibles, he's shown accuracy, he's shown leadership, he's shown everything that a good quarterback shows. He's shown the ability to win close games and come back and not make a crucial mistake at, at a at a bad time. He's shown everything that we have wanted wanted to see out of a quarterback in the time that he's had. So... The expectations that people are putting on him are based off of what they've seen. And yes, some of them are realistic. The 49ers are not going to go to the Super Bowl this year. They're most likely going to be fighting for a playoff spot. They probably won't right. win the division because the Rams have signed the entire world and and are going for it for the next two years before they have to blow up their team and they're in cap hell. But I think the biggest thing that people need to know is that it's, it's a process and they need to trust the process that the 49ers, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan we're on matching six year deals. If this was like a one or two year turnaround, they would not have gotten a long-term long-term sort of package like that. Jimmy Garoppolo is on a five-year deal. He's only 26 years old. Like we we can't expect a guy to come in and, and be a savior at this, at, at this young age. I mean, I I say young because he's only started seven games. So as a starting quarterback, he's young Uh, as a player, he's a veteran. But we can't expect a guy to come in after seven games and be like, "All right, well, you're going to win the Super Bowl." You know, it was it was the sim- a similar sort sort of situation with Kaepernick, right? Where everybody had these high expectations and stuff, and like, I mean, we should learn from that. We should know that the league adapts. We should know that that schemes change and players change, and and basically that it's going to be a process. It's not going to be like a, an overnight thing. So, I have that same sort of worry too. I have that same sort of expectation that he's going to lose some games and people are going to jump ship and be like, Oh, well they paid him all this money specifically the national, mas- the national media. Cause that's like hot take central. That's what they operate off of these days. And I really think that it's, it's just going to be one of those situations where it's going to be a transition year. He may not put up huge numbers and may not make the pro bowl. But like you said, I think that he'll play quarterback better than we've seen in the past four five,
1: six, seven years. And what I like, though, like you said, I, I think this year is a building year. I think this is the year they're going to be building towards being really good in 2019. They're going to be good this year. I think they'll be in the playoff hunt. Probably maybe could even get into the playoffs with, with some breaks. And, and if Garoppolo is as good as advertised, they, you know, they probably won't the playoffs because he can carry the team based on what he did last year. But they're building, building, building. I hope they're going to be in the 8, 9, 10 win range next year and then in 2019 take that jump you look at the guys that are in this locker room and how close this locker room is and the type of guys they've brought in just for the most part really classy team-oriented guys and uh eric branch wrote an article and robbie gould said said in it probably the best locker room he's been in, in his 14-year career that, that says a lot you know gould's been around the nfl for a while and, and joe staley echoed that and joe staley's talked so much about how he can't wait for next year. And it's one of the years he's looking forward to the most out of, in his whole career. They have guys who are buying in. They have guys right now who want to be 49ers who are really buying into this team aspect. They're hanging out outside the field. When you get a close knit locker room like that, that's going to show on the field as well. You know, guys are out there playing for each other. So that's a good sign. And, and everyone talks about what a leader Garoppolo is. He's a born leader. He's, he's a natural at this and he does. He seems like a natural passer. He seems like a natural leader. The guy's got, everything going for him I'm just saying even with the best it it takes time you know it may take this year next year before this team is really to the super bowl contender but we'll see man they're definitely moving in the right direction it's a fun thing to see and hey even if they do not get to the super bowl this year they'll at least have those throwback uniforms of the super bowl year right that's fantastic man That's pretty cool love
2: that when they, I had a hunch that they were coming out with those, and I, I tweeted the, the night before that it's most likely those uniforms. But Al Guido came on 95.7 The Game here locally, and he came out and said that they would be throwback slash alternates. So I'm like, that's got to be the only one, because the, the Niners uniform, the, the normal uniform, is almost like a, like a throwback to the 80s, right? It has a lot of those elements. Yep. And when they brought those things out, I was like, man, I haven't seen those uniforms since I was nine years old. Yeah, and really I vividly cool. remember it was awesome. I vividly remember that 94 season, watching every single game. And when when the Niners beat the Cowboys, they beat them twice that year. They beat them during the season yep. and obviously in the championship game to go to the Super Bowl. But there's other funny moments in between, like when they were wearing those whites in Atlanta, Dion picking off after after fighting with Andre Risen, he picked off a pass and went 93 yards for a touchdown, uh talking smack to their to their bench as he went and high stepping and dancing and it was it was awesome. Like that season was just a, a fairy tale. That that kind of we ex, we expected because at that time, Niners fans expected to go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. And obviously, times have changed. But it's kind of cool to see them making that nod to the past. And I know that the organizations come under criticism for not honoring their past enough and and not incorporating it enough in their current sort of era. But if you walk around Levi's Stadium, you'll see pictures of old 49ers. You'll see the Ring of Honor. You'll see the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowls listed on the stadium. And they've made those changes. They made an effort. So kudos to them. And apparently, those jerseys are flying off the shelves, Al. My, my wife got me a, a, a normal red Jimmy Garoppolo jersey for Valentine's Day, which was awesome. Shout out to Bay for that. And I'm like, should I get a Jimmy Garoppolo throwback jersey? Like, I mean, they're just, they're just that cool to me, man.
1: Do you, do you think they're going to sell better than the 49ers web zone no huddle t-shirts?
2: I don't know. If we had a throwback, we might be able to compete. But like We'd this is like the only shirt that we have right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. One day we may, we may do a throwback shirt, and hopefully that'll, that'll do well. But it's just really cool. I think it's a really cool idea.
1: The th- our, our shirt or the throwback jerseys? Oh, both.
2: I think, it's, okay. I think both <laughs> are great ideas.
1: <laughs> we're literally the only two people on earth who care about our shirts I think. Yeah. I think i think i think it's just me and
2: you yeah i think we're the only two people that will that, that will have ordered them um yeah. but uh, i think i think my dad will probably order one he he's a loyal listener to the oh, show oh yeah he, he definitely yeah.
1: would yeah he's he's probably our biggest fan so he, yeah, he definitely sh- will shout out to my dad it was birth it was his birthday yesterday so shout oh, out was to it? pops yeah yeah oh happy birthday to him what yeah. what what's what's his birthday what's his date his birthday uh
2: may 29th oh i'm the 28th are you serious? Oh, shout yeah. out to you too, Al. Yeah, that's I right. I tweeted happy at you. birthday, dude. Yeah, man. Happy birthday. Happy 25th birthday, Al.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll just we'll let everybody think that I'm 25. I like that.
2: Yeah, there we go. <laughs> you, you have the old, you know, like baseball players used to do, like when they used to come from overseas, they used to have like a fake birth certificate yeah. that made them like 17 years old. In reality, the guy's like 35. <laughs> there
1: you go. Yeah, there's like 18 year olds playing in the Little World Series. Yeah, yep. Exactly. It's one of those things. Yeah. Yeah, the oh, HGH man. keeps me going. So, well, happy birthday, to your dad, dude. Definitely. So, um, yeah, man, happy, happy, happy birthday, birthday to you too, man. That's, that's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. thanks for the, a lot a lot of fans um, said happy birthday to me on Twitter, which which I appreciate. Anytime you don't know people and there's only happy birthdays, it's always cool. So I, I appreciated that. So thanks to everybody for that.
2: Um, are you one of those also, people that kind of like makes a big deal out of your birthday? Or are you no, like
1: no, 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 no. If it were up to me, no one would even know. Like oh, I'm okay. not. I, I won't even let like my wife do anything for me. Like I'm just not that guy. I don't care at all.
2: Well, I'm glad so, that I mentioned it over the air so thousands of people could, uh, could hear it then. It's all good.
1: Whatever. <laughs> it, it, you know, it is what it is. It's fine. Um, social media is fine, I guess. I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a birthday party type guy or whatever. I just want to sit back with a couple of beers, play some golf. You know what I mean? Just do that sort of thing. So um, I did want to ask you before we go, because I know you're a big NBA guy. So, and I know that you hate LeBron. How are you <laughs> feeling? With, how, how are you feeling with, uh, with the finals?
2: Well, I want to clarify my stance on LeBron. So I appreciate what he's done, uh, accomplished as a basketball player, because the the amount of greatness that he has achieved, you don't see that. Like we're not, we're never going to see this again. A guy that's that big and that fast. Right. Yeah, I was looking great. at, yeah. I was looking at, at his athletic profile and he has the same measurables as Carl Malone did. And Carl Malone was like a slow, slow footed center. Slash oh, power. wow. It's crazy. Is it really? Yeah, like look it up online like it's they're almost the same. And LeBron like he has like elite skills now too. He can shoot the ball well. He's a better shooter than he was before. He's he's a better passer than he was before. Like he LeBron is unquestionably the greatest player of the, of this current generation. Now, that being said, the, all these comparisons to Jordan that they have, like they're all they're like, "Oh, ESPN loves to do this. Every other day they're like, "Oh, how is he stack up against Jordan?" Look, they're not the same player. They played at different eras. They played different roles on their teams. They're not the same player. Why can't we just let him be the first LeBron James instead of being the next Michael Jordan? And it just, it just irks me because it's just like you're, you're doing a disservice to what he's accomplishing by putting up him up against this unattainable star in Michael Jordan. Like Nobody's going nobody's gonna to be the next Michael Jordan. What he did, the way that he did it, the era that he played in, nobody's going to top that. But LeBron James, what he's doing in this era, nobody's going to top that in this current era. There's no next LeBron James coming. Like, I don't see any of these young guys equaling what, he, what he's accomplished. So, you know, kudos, kudos to him on that. I think that he's going to get rolled by the Warriors in the finals. I think he's going to take another L. But yeah. <laughs> it's it just the fact that he's been to eight straight finals, it's amazing. Like he, the, the time that he's been to the finals, like eight years, Instagram wasn't even invented before he went to the finals.
1: Like, that, like his first finals was before Instagram. Which is crazy, it is crazy. So what is he? What is he, Is he three and five or three and six in finals right now? He's three and five, probably five, gonna be three and six. Uh, three I, I don't six, think
2: yeah. many people are giving him a chance against this this Warriors team. Like you saw, you saw the NBA finals just the other day when the Warriors played the Rockets. That was the finals. Like that series was was so crazy and so many ups and downs, and and everybody here in the Bay Area was holding their breath. And it was a great series. It was a really fun series to watch. And I, I think the better team won. I, I called Warriors in six. They happened in seven. But for the finals, I'm going to say Warriors in five just because it's going to be a gentleman's sweep. <laughs> just because right. I don't think, like, LeBron's too great to get swept. He's not going to get swept. He'll take at least one. And if Iguodala comes back, they have somebody to guard him. But literally, Al, there's nobody that the Warriors can put on LeBron James to guard him. He's going to get, like, 50 points a game. And I think the Warriors, will be, they'll be okay with that. So who were his
1: finals losses to? He, let's assume he loses this year, right? And there's six. He'd have, what, three losses to the Warriors, right? Yeah. Dallas. He, he lost to Dallas. Uh, he, he lost was, to the Spurs way back when. He lost to the Spurs it, twice, I think. Was it Spurs twice? Okay, you're right. Spurs twice. Yeah. So that first one, he really had no business being in the finals. He like carried that team against the you know an all-time Spurs team. Yeah. The second time, now he lost to the Spurs with the Heat, right? He did, yeah. All right, that's still kind of a tough loss because you got that super team. I know the Spurs were the Spurs, but well, he lost to that Dallas team with the first the first eight year when he first. That made that was inexcusable. That's an inexcusable. Loss. So I feel like he's got all right. So he's got one finals loss. It's not really his fault because they don't business being there. The two in Miami were kind of. He's got to win those. I feel yeah. like if you're again, if you're comparing and listen, LeBron is like the greatest athlete I've ever seen in my life. But I'm just saying, if you're talking like all time play, player and championships, you got to look at this stuff, right? So. You know, Bill Russell's got eight, you know, magic had Kobe at five. Jordan's got six. You got to look at this stuff. So, all right. So those two are pretty much inexcusable. And then he runs into this warriors team. We beat once and he'll end up probably being one and three against them. That's tough, man. That's the thing. Again, if you're talking about greatest all time is in the grounds, probably like the greatest single athlete, most valuable, all that stuff. But again, you're talking championships. So if he's three and six with two bad finals losses, you know what I mean? It's, I'm just, it's, it's a tough sell. It really is. It is Richard Sherman came I came out and tweeted this week. Cause there was a, the love fest for
2: LeBron going on. And Richard Sherman was like, how are you going to call a guy, the greatest when he only, he's only converted on 40% of his finals. Yeah. Like he's he's lost. He, he's lost 60% of the finals that he's been in. It's like, yeah, I mean, not that, not all that is his fault, but it's like, at some point we have to stop making excuses for him. Like how much help do you? Does, does this guy need? Right. It's like, like you, you don't need an all-star team around you to win a finals, right? Like you shouldn't, but I mean, I think that's what the NBA has become and side note, Al um, relating the, the finals to the the 49ers. I think that this whole warriors run and the warriors, hopefully winning another NBA championship will actually take some of the, the heat off of the 49ers because right now in the Bay area um, for those of us living here, the warriors are the number one team. They are the only team the A's and Giants aren't really doing that well. The, the Raiders are on their way out. The Sharks are kind of just stuck in neutral, and the Niners are still they're, they're up and coming. But right now, the Warriors are ripe. This is a dynasty right here. So it alleviates some of that pressure off of the 49ers to be like the team, right. and I think that's going to work to their benefit. So that's one thing that's kind of flying under the radar that I think is going to happen. But let's be honest. like We're all eagerly waiting for football season. Like, yeah, that's I, true. I
1: can't wait. I can't wait to, for them to put on the pads. You know what? I'm, I don't watch a ton of NBA anymore. I probably watch less NBA this year than I ever have. I just have a hard time with the league, the way basketball is played. Yeah, I don't know. I, it doesn't hold my attention. But I'll get into a little bit in the playoffs. So I'm watching a little bit of the, of the Warriors and the Rocket series. And number one, the Warriors are one of the funnest teams I've ever seen play. I mean, they're so much fun to watch. You know, I don't. I'm a Lakers fan. I don't care about the Warriors. I mean, I like that they're winning because it's a different team to have a dynasty. Usually, it's the same teams, but. So I like that they're going on this run and they're so much fun. You know, Durant's fun to watch and Curry's awesome. And, you know, Clay Thompson can get hot and they're bombing all these th- these threes and it's great. But I'm watching the Rockets play the other night and I'm, I'm remembering why I hate the NBA. Because I'm watching James Harden dribble, 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 gun a three. Mm. Just gun. Just gunning. It's not even like Steph Curry who's like just this remarkable shooter. You know what I mean? Like he's just literally just Dribbling and running as fast as he can and throwing the ball up in the air. Like I know Harden's a really great player and everything like that, but it's so frustrating to watch basketball being played like that to me. And like the way that the Rockets are playing, and I know Chris Paul was out, and that obviously hurts them. But I'm watching Harden and I'm watching Trevor Ariza go what old for twelve from three point range or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. and the Warriors outscored them. What the hell was it? Hold on, I I wrote it down or I tweeted it somewhere. The second halfs, the game six and seven, the Warriors outscored them one hundred and twenty two to sixty three. Wow. Like it's like they just forgot how to play basketball, the Rockets, and they're just gunning these shots, and that's why I hate the NBA. It's just it's too much one on one. Like I don't know, it drives me crazy. So I don't know. I was glad that the Warriors came back. Watching the Rockets play, I'm like, you know what? Good, <laughs> keep gunning Harden. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hate I hate the Rockets' brand ran- of ball. Like I hate
2: it. Ball flop and get to the line. Like right, Chris Paul. Like I mean, it sucks that yeah he got injured. It would have nice because t- it would have been more of an even series, but. You know, just flopping and getting to the line, all this stuff It's like, come on, man! Like, just earn it. Actually, earn it. Like James Harden shot like fifteen hundred more free throws over the last three seasons than any other player. Sorry, last five seasons than any other player. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, I, I think that that's part of it too. And I'm just glad that that the better team won. I feel like the Warriors are the better team. I, you know, I think that they they'll easily take care of the Cavs barring some like injury to Curry or Durant or one of their main players. But I think that, that they'll easily take care of the Cavs. The other thing is that obviously these things are influenced by the league and all this stuff. And they call fouls slanted just to, to a certain team. The Warriors got the whistle late in the game. Rockets got the whistle early in the game in game seven. So it just depends on whether they want LeBron to win a game or not.
1: <laughs> Honestly,
2: <laughs> I'm not much for Tim Floyd under hat theories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you mean though. But I think that uh, you know whether they want him to win a game or not. And uh, by the way, the the NHL Finals, the Stanley Cup Finals are on too. I know, I know we're we're going long here, but I I just want to point this out: (laughs) the Las Vegas Knights. For those of you who haven't seen it, watch their intro of their game one for the Stanley Cup Finals. Just watch it. I didn't see it. I'll check it out. (laughs) It's literally. It's you're going to look at it and be like, "Man, this is so Vegas!" Like it's literally like a theater production. It's like a play. And it's unreal. And I'm like, man, this is so freaking Vegas and, and the NHL where everything is just like a big gimmick. And I love the NHL. I love watching hockey. But like, it's just like a big gimmick now. And the, the Vegas team is like the, the representative, a representative of what the NHL is now. And, and I hope they lose. I hope Washington wins. But it's just, <laughs> you should just watch this out and you're going to be like, man, I can't believe this is a freaking intro to a hockey game.
1: Do you want to talk about how the Yankees are 18 games over 500 at the end of May? You want to talk about that for a little no, while? No,
2: screw them. No, screw none the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: Aaron oh, Judge, Gleyber Torres. No, none of that. Evil Empire. Oh, man. Uh, I I got I to gotta start doing Yankees stuff. I'm a big Yankees guy, too. Get, get a Yankees podcast going, man. Do it. Yeah. I it. Maybe, I mean, you know what? Maybe I will. Maybe I will do something like that. Call it, call it something cool like the suicide squeeze or something like that. Or like... I, I'm going to quit and I'm going to start covering the Yankees, I think. No, man. You, know. have to stay,
2: you have to stay on this, man. You I'm way too lazy
1: for baseball. Football, it's like once a week. You don't have to work that much. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Baseball like every day. I'm too, tired. I'm too hey, tired.
2: By the way, for those of you who, who may be wondering, like sometimes you'll hear Al on an interview by himself. Sometimes you'll, you'll hear uh, like both of us. Basically, we try to work around our guest schedules. And some of these people are on the East Coast. Some are on the West Coast. And for those on the East Coast, it's a little bit easier for Al to to interview because I'm at work during the day. So, uh, you know, we, we come up with the questions and, and sometimes like you just have to roll with whoever's free at that time. So appreciate Al for all those times that he's had to go solo. Uh, and, uh, thanks, man. I mean, you've, you've been picking up this team. You've been, you've been running stuff.
1: Hey, sometimes, you know, I'm getting ready for bed and you're stuck in traffic. You know what I mean? (laughs) So like, just the time difference. So yeah, exactly. You know, it's all good, man. You know, and you get there when you can. Yeah. You contribute a little bit, Zane. Yep. Here and there. I, I try i try, I try. Yeah. all right we're <laughs> rambling we gotta go here so all right well you know what before we do the we're, we we're pretty versatile dude with the sports pod we could do like a sports podcast i
2: i would like that that'd be cool like i mean is that something niners fans would want or they just want Niners stuff just sure. Niners
1: stuff but we could do like an nfl show we could just mix in sports like we could you know i don't know just, we could branch out a little bit here
2: yeah let us know what you guys think let us know if you guys want us to just shut up and talk about the niners
1: uh, what's the line now? Shut up and what was it? Shut up and dribble. Shut up and talk, talk about football. Oh, Niners. Maybe yeah. we could, maybe we could do like, you know, a little bit of Niners and then do some NFL stuff, some overarching NFL stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Hit us up on Twitter guys. Let, yeah. us, know, uh, let yeah, us know. Let us
2: know what you, you want that. us to do. Like this is, this is your show for the fans, right? This is for you guys. It's not, it's not just for me and Al just talking on, on, on what we want to talk about. We, we take your feedback and we incorporate it into the show. We want to
1: give you guys what you want to hear. And then we make t-shirts that only we're going to buy. Yes, that too. <laughs> All right, dude. Let's end this thing here. Let's wrap it up. For Al Sacco and Zane Nakvi. thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Happy birthday, Al. Thanks, man.